The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Talk is Jericho, baby. Talk is Jericho. Talk is Jericho, mama. Talk is me. All right, welcome to Talk is Jericho. It's the pod of thunder and rock and roll, and it is WrestleMania week across the world in the WWE and right here on TIJ as well. We're celebrating the WWE's biggest night, the biggest show of the year, this Sunday in Orlando with two very special guests tonight, right here, right now. Doing a solo appearance. I got Big Cass coming up on the show. He's getting ready for his huge ladder match. Triple threat him and Enzo Amore versus Gallows and Anderson versus Shamus and Cesaro. And it's going to be one of the highlights of the show, I'm sure. Ladder matches always are in uh, in, in WrestleMania. But we've had a, uh, Enzo's been on before. Talking Shop live in Mexico he's been on. Uh, they've been on a lot of podcasts together. But I wanted to get Big Cass coming up all by himself. All by him. Himself. But like I said, Big Cass is here. He's talking about his personal journey, not only to WrestleMania. This is his first this year, by the way, but also to the WWE. You're going to hear how he and Enzo Amore got teamed up, where some of those crazy catchphrases came from. Soft, S-A-W-F-T, soft, how you doing? And the latest, what do we got over here? A couple of haters. He's seven foot tall, and you can't teach that. And we found out also how uh, how they made the main roster. Big Cass also does a great Dusty Rose impression. Excellent. Talks about all the help that Dusty gave him at NXT. Cass also has some hilarious stories from Dusty's promo class and the stuff that Cass and Enzo used to do in NXT to get noticed. Plus, Cass and his dad used to go to all the big WWE shows in New York, New Jersey, etc., etc., when Cass was growing up. So he was at SummerSlam 2002 and even brought a homemade sign to the arena. And he also brought a homemade sign to the arena uh, for The Rock when I was his big rival. So Cass, you know, you're you're big trouble, man. Hey, you're big trouble, man. Uh, So big Cass is going to be here. Lots of great stories. A lifelong wrestling fan, a lifelong Springsteen fan. uh, And he's a a really great guy as well. And you can't teach that. But before we get to big Cass, got another great story. It's got to be Dallas and Dallas Page's induction into the WWE Hall of Fame officially happening this Friday night in Orlando. Couldn't be happier for him. He's a great guy. He's helped me a lot in my life and you know he can help you in yours. And to mark the incredible occasion of Dallas going in the WWE Hall of Fame, he's holding a special Hall of Fame sale at ddpyoga.com slash Jericho. Dallas is being inducted, but you are reaping the rewards, man. He's so fired up about the Hall of Fame. He's giving you 30% off the DDP Yoga Now app and all DDPY-related merch. So... 
celebrate with DDP by jumping on board the DDPY program and living a healthier life. You guys have heard me talk about what DDP yoga has done for me, and you're really going to hear it when the new Fozzy album comes out very soon. You're going to hear it in my singing, because singing comes from the core. I'm stronger and more powerful than ever, and DDP had a lot to do with that because he's really helped strengthen my core. You've seen the year I've had in WWE as well, and that's why I'm this hashtag 61 Minute Man. Uh, Definitely DDP yoga helped me get to that point. Very excited about my big match versus Kevin Owens this Sunday, and DDPY is going to help me stay in the game bigger bigger and better than ever. I do DDP yoga wherever I want, man. I just open up the app, get to work wherever I am, backstage at a venue, in the dressing room, in a hotel room, in my living room. That app makes it so easy. It's so easy, and it's got a whole new set of workouts on it, so you never get bored. The app's also got tips for healthy eating and recipes to keep you on Target. It's everything you need to live a healthier life. All right, like I said, you get 30% off the DDP Yoga Now app and all related merch at ddpyoga.com slash Jericho. That's 30% off hats. How you doing? T-shirts. How you doing? Yoga mats. How you doing? Heart monitors. How you doing? So much more. Just go to ddpyoga.com slash Jericho. It's the biggest sale ever on the DDPY program. So take advantage of it, man. Celebrate Dallas's much-deserved induction into the WWE Hall of Fame and get on the path to healthier living at the same time. Go to ddpyoga.com slash Jericho. ddpyoga.com slash Jericho. One more time. ddpyoga.com slash Jericho. Change your life today. Get in the best physical and mental shape of your whole entire life and start right now. Talk is Jericho. So basically, straight off the plane after hours and hours of flying, big cast is here. We're in Dusseldorf, Germany. And uh, how you feel? Are you a little bit jet lagged? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. You even have the voice like you just kind of got up voice. Oh know? yeah, we had the the LAX flight to JFK. Then we napped for like four hours in Queens, and then uh, JFK to here. So but aren't you from Queens? I'm from Queens. Did you go home? I didn't go home because uh, I actually called my mom and said, "Hey, should I come by the house and uh, you know come by the house to sleep and take a nap?" But she's like, "Oh no, no, no! The traffic, the construction. <laughs> get out of here. Just stay over there at JFK." <laughs> so I didn't end up going home, even though you're in your own backyard. Yeah, right? exactly. If people only knew that, like I said, like we were laughing, kind of were drinking coffee, and like I woke up. I got here yesterday. I took a direct from LA. And dude, you know, you get a, you land, it's like, okay, I'm all right. And then you have that little sleep. And then I, I'm so like zoned out, buzzed, tired, and I haven't drank anything, but it's hard. Like people don't know we land here and I had an extra day's sleep, but you landed here this morning and we're going straight to work in about two hours to, to, to wrestle. Yeah. We have the show tonight, seven o'clock in Dusseldorf. Dusseldorf. And then, and then uh, th- did you see the, uh, the schedule for after the show? Six no. hour bus ride. Really? To Nuremberg. Six hours. <laughs> <laughs> now, now uh, when you first started traveling and then knowing you for a little bit, you like having like a, a certain amount of sleep. Well, if I can get it in, yeah. Right, but now it's starting to change. Before, it was always like, you know, I need eight hours sleep. That's yes. the way it is. Yeah, especially in NXT when I was sleeping in my bed every night, eight hours, ideal. Yeah. Right, but, but I was telling you, dude, when we started traveling. Well, that ain't going to work anymore. Because <laughs> you said you couldn't sleep on planes. Oh, yeah, that's my biggest issue is no matter what I do, like no matter what I drink or, or whatever, like whatever I take like a melatonin or a NyQuil or anything, I cannot sleep on airplanes, man. It's just, especially for what we're doing, it's so frustrating because, yeah. because man, like everyone else, I look around, the rest of the boys and the, and the, the girl, they're all passed out, like getting good rest while we're flying overseas. And I'm just sitting there watching Modern Family and <laughs> South Park, and I just can't fall asleep, man. Did you, even on this trip, you didn't fall asleep at night? Uh. L- 
apparently I fell asleep for like 20 minutes maybe, but I wasn't in a real sleep. That's usually what happens. And people say, oh, I looked at you and you, you were asleep. I'm just, just no, That's thinking. the worst. That's frustrating, man. Yeah. Like, that'll change for you. It's going to have to because yeah. you spent so much time on planes and stuff. But there's nothing worse than when you got that kind of half-ass sleep and you're not getting any type of rest that you need. And you got an eight-hour flight or six-hour flight or whatever it was for you guys. Yeah, what was, it was like eight hours over here yeah, yeah, yeah. from JFK. Yeah, something like that. It was funny because I was on Air Berlin yeah. and there was like – this real dog's breakfast of movies that were on the plane. There was really nothing new. And like the, the like the best offering was Goldmember, Austin Powers Goldmember. I like that movie. It's great, but it's like of all the movies, like I go under comedies and it's all these like not really comedies and then Goldmember. Yeah. And it's like that's my choices. It's like, <laughs> Berlin, you got to ramp it up, dudes. Yeah, I saw that too because I was looking at the, our movie choices. I immediately went from movie choices to TV. I was like, oh, this is – That was smart because the TV is always better. Yeah, I was like, this is dude, slim pickings here. So I went over to TV and South Park, Modern get, Family, stuff like that. It gets pretty bad like when you start knowing the airlines. Like Air Berlin we've never had. But I know like Delta, they'll have the same movies on the way there – on the way back as they do the way there. Yeah. Which is a total burnout because like, if you get a long flight, you watch the two or three that you want to see on there. Yep. And then coming back, it's like, well, now I really got, you know, like gold members. Yeah, yeah. That's all there's left. <laughs> well, going to have to watch gold member. I, I got to the point where on some of these like uh, airlines in the States now, I know what movies they have. Because, you know, the, the airlines in the States now, they also have the uh, – the, the headrest uh, TV. Yeah, the TV and the headrest, yeah. right, which is so great. Like, so, like, I had to, like, download the the accountant because I, I want to watch that movie, but I knew, like, oh, Delta, the accountant's no longer available on Delta flights. Like, you start to know That's what shows, right. what episodes. Oh, Ballers, I'm going to have to download the <laughs> yeah. next season of ba- season two of Ballers because they took it off uh, of American flights. Like, you know what's on each flight. I would never watch Comic Book Men on AMC that Kevin Smith was, like, a – Pawn stars, but they do with comic book shops. Like, hey, I've got this 1972 Superman doll. How much is it worth? Right. I would never watch it. I've seen every freaking episode of that show because they have it on Delta. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, well, that's kind of interesting. I like Kevin Smith, and I know a little bit about comics. And every week they ha- or every month or whatever, they have a few new episodes. I've seen them all. Yeah. Only from flying. Of course. You know? Yeah. Uh, so what was it like? So when you first get – because you guys were down at NXT for a while. There was a big cast at Enzo. And was there like a few close calls to getting called up? Were there rumors you're going to get called up? Were you guys down there for a long time waiting to be called up? Uh, I don't – I think everybody down there is always waiting to be – everyone's excited and, you know, waiting to be called up. But I don't think we ever really had a point where we thought uh, – Man, we're we're definitely gonna get called up. There were some moments where we thought, hmm, maybe like after uh, SummerSlam, I mean the Barclays Center in the first ever NXT takeover. There, we were on the the uh, the opening show, and uh, we got a very good reaction from the hometown crowd in Barclays Center, and some people were talking. I'm, I'm I don't know if there's any merit to anything that people were saying backstage, but mm. you start thinking, oh, maybe, maybe soon. But uh, I don't think we ever really, really got our hopes up until. Uh, right around WrestleMania time. Like, we kind of figured something was going on when uh, we did that Roadblock uh, WWE Live, the network special. It was uh, Ambrose versus Triple H in the main event. Oh, yeah, in but Toronto or something? It was like in that? Toronto. Yeah. Uh, and uh, we had a NXT Tag Team Championship match with The Revival. And uh, after that, we weren't booked on NXT television for the next two months going into Mania. So we kind of... Thought, huh, something's probably going on here. Mm-hmm. If we're not on TV anymore, we lost to the Revival at 
roadblock we haven't been seeing since. So we kind of figured something was going on. So I guess our hopes at last last year, right around WrestleMania season, started getting pretty high. And then when they finally tell you, uh, Triple H told us after Takeover Dallas, they had the uh, NXT Takeover Dallas uh, right two, around WrestleMania. Yeah, two yeah. nights before WrestleMania, and uh, he pulled me and Enzo aside and uh, told us that we were going to get called up. How does that feel for you? I mean, obviously, we'll talk about this. You were a huge wrestling fan from yeah. a young age. Yeah. You know, work your way up, and now you finally get the shot. Yeah. Uh, it was also it was really emotional, but it was also a little weird, too, because uh, they filmed it for the – I think there was a 24 about WrestleMania, and they put uh, me and Enzo on it getting called up. Like, that moment is – is on the network. Mm -hmm. So like when Triple H was like, Hey guys, I want to talk to you. Oh, okay. We walk into a room and there's a camera there. We're like, Oh, this is a little weird. So your reactions are kind of like uh, subdued a bit. Mm -hmm. So it was, it was uh, very emotional, but uh, also at the same time, it was a little awkward because the camera guy is standing right there. You have to pretend that he's not right there. Hey, this is great. Yeah. 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 Nice. Oh job. yes. Okay. <laughs> and where was that? Columbus? Or where were we? The, or no, Dallas. Dallas, yeah. Dallas, the arena, right? Dallas. Yeah. That was. Were you surprised at how many? Well, I mean, first night after WrestleMania, there's always a lot of hardcore fans there, you know. Oh, yeah. But were you surprised at how many people knew your shtick the moment you walked out? Um, I honestly wasn't surprised because I know the crowd that's there the night after Mania. Hardcore fans, a lot of fans from Europe, a lot of fans from Germany, a lot of fans from all over the world. It's that hardcore. WWE fan base so those fans are all familiar with with NXT mm -hmm. so and and I went to the the Knicks game that Friday night and uh, uh, I was in the the American Airlines Center the Knicks arena versus, Dallas, versus yeah. Dallas that Friday or Thursday whenever we got in with the NXT crew and uh, there were a lot of rest, uh, WWE fans there and they were all coming up to me Monday night Monday night is mm -hmm. it going to be Monday because everybody so I was kind of expecting a, a very good reaction because everybody was asking about it, and it was, you know, like I said, that that hardcore fan base. So, okay, well, let me ask you this: and what about the second week and the third week when it's not the hardcore fan base? When we're in, you know, Peoria, Illinois, wherever the hell we were? Yeah, that's that's uh, that's where you get a little nervous. You're kind of wondering, okay, where is this going to go a few weeks from now when the, we don't have them? But then we started getting great reactions on house shows, even in like North Carolina and South Carolina, and like. Uh, other towns across the states, like very, very tiny, small towns. You know, some of the buildings we work live events on. And we were getting good reactions in those buildings. And uh, that's when we started to think, okay, we this is, this is we're going to keep rolling with this. This is, the fans really dig this. You know, you know I, I found that was really cool about it is, you know, if you're going to call it, let's say the sing-along promo, whatever, you guys have very right. much a, a fan-based, you know, sing-along with the bouncing ball type of a stuff. <laughs> And to me, it's like the good thing about it is because I, I, you know, I don't watch NXT, and that's not a bad thing. It's just you know time and all that other stuff. But people watched it enough to where if there was fifteen percent of the crowd or twenty percent of the crowd that knew your shtick, they're singing along with it with such uh, con conviction and so into it yeah. that the other eighty percent are kind of like, well, who are these guys? Exactly, they, they must be something cool. Yeah, exactly. And I think that the night after WrestleMania debut helped us too because. Yeah, there's 15,000 plus in that arena, but there's millions at home watching. And like you said, some of those fans at home were actually probably the overwhelming majority of those fans at home watching Raw on the USA Network that night. They'd never, 
they're not familiar with us. But when they see an arena filled with 15,000 people that knew every word they were saying, mm-hmm. everybody at home starts saying, well, who the F are these guys? Right, right, yeah, right. What, what, these guys are cool. You know, everybody's singing along with them. So I think it was just the right moment for us and just all the stars aligned, and it was like the perfect debut. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Talk is talk is talk is Jericho. How did that start with you guys um, as far as doing all the catchphrases and the quote-unquote sing-along? Well, we, uh, me and Enzo started doing promos together in Dusty Rhodes' promo class. Like, Dusty would even have us at the old FCW building in Tampa. He'd have us sit at a table, like, to the side, and everybody during promo class would go up there, and then afterwards he'd, like, flip to us, and we would cut a promo about their promo and pretty much just bury everybody sometimes. <laughs> like, just making fun of everybody, like, just burying the promo they just did. And... uh so Dusty, you know, he was uh, he was really behind us, and he was pushing for us. We have a fine tradition on Talk is Jericho that if you Dusty talking about how talking about, it, you have to do a Dusty imitation of what he said to you. Uh, <laughs> at that at that moment, right there. Yeah, like what was he saying to to, to, to bury uh, these guys? Baby, you two just you go up there and and you just you say whatever you feel. I don't care. You don't hurt. You don't care about hurting no feelings. You you go up there and you say whatever the f you want, okay? And you could tell them Dusty told you that. <laughs> is there is there one that comes to mind of somebody that you buried? Uh, <laughs> let me see. I'm trying to think. I remember uh, Sami Zayn and Neville were up there and they were doing like this big friendship promo and like. Uh, Sammy was testing Neville's friendship, and he would, like, tell him things to see if he was actually his friend. He'd be like... Uh, and that's a shoot, too. Those guys are wacko together. Yeah, yeah, they yeah. really are. And yeah. that was one that I remember me and Enzo were just really burying afterwards. It was, a, it was really good. He was testing his friendship. I, I forget some of the situations he was in, but eventually Neville played the bad guy, and he was like... Sammy was like, well, I don't have any more money, so I can't pay for us going out anymore and stuff. And then I was like, all right, well, I'll see you later. Like, we're not friends anymore. And, like, he was really not his good friend. And then right, right. We, we just, you know, buried them for yeah, that whole problem. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. So you guys started doing that kind of insulting, you know, yeah. wrapping them. Yeah. Dusty compared to who were the two guys from, uh, was it Sesame Street? They sit up in the balcony. From the Muppet Show. The Muppet Show, I think yeah. They call uh, Statler and Waldorf. The yeah. Two old guys that bury everything. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So he, he compared it to that. And then. That's uh, great. Yeah. We started doing that and. Finally, uh, we weren't on NXT uh, at all. We weren't being used on the the uh, television show. Were you guys put together already? No, we were we were nothing. Like Two separate guys. We, we were just put together as guys that do promos together. Mm-hmm. We didn't even work live events together. Uh, and then Enzo had a match against Mason Ryan on NXT. He went out there. Good lord. It's like a giant, it's like David and Goliath. Yeah, it's, if you could get, get eyes on that footage, Enzo took a beal. He almost <laughs> went flying out of the ring. It was excellent, but he cut a promo on the way to the ring, and Cena was there backstage because back then NXT needed some WWE guys to come right, in to, yeah, yeah. to draw the house. Yeah, so Cena was there, and he was 
he said, well, who's that guy? Uh, great promo. And then he started asking around. And then I remember uh, it was Tyler Breeze was sitting there. And Tyler Breeze was like, oh, that's Enzo. Him and Big Cash, you should see like this uh, this shtick that they do. It's really funny. And uh, Cena was like, okay, are you, are you kidding? Are they actually really good? And uh, Breeze said, yeah, I, I'll put my stamp on it. And he's like, which one's Cass? And he pointed to me. So uh, Cena was going out there at the end of the night to do a dark segment with Sandow. And they had nothing, uh, Damian Sandow, and they had nothing planned. So two, like five minutes before he went out, Cena came up to me and uh, Enzo in the viewing area, and he asked us, um, would you mind coming out and doing the dark segment with, uh, with me and Sandow? And we were like, well, yeah, of course. If we, yeah. He's like, can you get your gear on real quick? So me and Enzo, yep. So we ran down the hallway to the locker room. We put our gear on. We ran through the auditorium, through the viewing area, all, all the way to Gorilla, and Cena was already out there with Sandow. We don't know what's going on. We have right. nothing planned. But me and Enzo just know we have so much material from promo class. We go out there. We had endless material. Because me and Enzo used to sit in my living room every Tuesday night down in Tampa. Pretty much how we're sitting right now. I'd be on the couch. He'd be on the, in the chair. And we would just stay up until we had a promo for the next day. And we'd. You know, we had so much material from those Tuesday nights. Just about nights. anything or about somebody in particular? About or? people in particular, about situations in particular, wow. funny ones. Yeah. So we knew, okay, we have endless material from promo class and from Tuesday nights just sitting up, just talking shop. So we we went out, our music hit. Cena was like, here's here's my two friends. And we came out and fans of Full Sail. No idea who we were. I mean, they recognized Enzo as the guy that cut a promo and got his head smashed in, you know. <laughs> so they've never seen you guys together? Never. Never seen you do anything? Yeah. We walk right. out there. We just start pretty much cutting promos on Sandow, and uh, Cena joins in. And then uh, Enzo said the he said uh, something about Sandow having a soft ass, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, you, you have... There's more dimples in your ass than there is in a golf ball. Right. And he said that you're, you know, you're SAWFT soft. And then the fans kind of started saying soft. And then Cena was like, wait, what guys? What is, uh, what did you just say? And SAWFT soft. We kept repeating it. Finally, Cena was like, yeah, that's right. You're SAWFT soft. So well, the segment ended. Sandow went through a table. Everyone's home happy. But as we were leaving Full Sail, the fans that are, there they stay for autographs that so we're walking to our car and me and enzo were leaving together everybody was just saying soft and s-a-w-f-t mm. as we were leaving the building wow so we we knew something had caught on there and then from then on we started getting booked on nxt i mean we were in handicap matches we were losing the people handicap matches <laughs> but we were yeah we started getting booked on nxt as a, as a unit from from there on just from that and once that's because you were prepared because you had been hanging out with each other writing these promos yeah it was those tuesday nights that really that really helped because even even stuff we hadn't written down we like, oh you remember that you remember that one line you had that we mm -hmm. forgot to write down we didn't use it about uh whatever it was the new york yankees or the boston red so like, you remember that line we could use that for sand okay well, okay we go out mm -hmm. there we'll say you know so we just had stuff that from just or just like sitting in the car driving. You remember that one thing you said? We could use that here. So, and why were the two of you guys together at this point? Were you just friends, or yeah, we were friends. Enzo, anybody that knows Enzo knows. You know, sometimes he's he's could be a bit much at first, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So when he first got to FCW, really was at the time uh, 
some people didn't like him, I'd say. Mm-hmm. But I, you know, knew he was a New Jersey guy. He was from my area. Uh, I really, you know, liked him. And uh, I liked him when he came down for his for his um, tryout. And he cut a promo on his tryout. And I remember thinking to myself, man, if they signed this guy, me and him could do something together. Because mm. he cut a promo and I just dug it. And everybody, you know, dug it. And uh, I was like, man, I really, really hope they sign this guy. And they ended up signing him. And the first day he was there, we went to the Yankees game because they were playing in Tampa by chance. And then... Uh, we went out that night down in Soho in, in Tampa, and the rest is history. Hmm. Yeah, but, but and, and, is this true that you guys had actually known each other from when you were kids? From a long time, from a way long time ago. It was just, uh, oh man, thirteen, fourteen years old, something like that. We, we but we had lost touch, you know, for for a long, long time. Did you, were you in the same school, or how did you know each other? Playing basketball on the like at. Uh, the cage it's like a famous street ball venue and you just show up from your house and whoever's whoever's there to play exactly play, like, but, like street hockey but for basketball right and there's there's leagues that play at night where the actual competition is but like during the during the day there's like the jobber you know five <laughs> on fives you just go there and just i got next and stuff like that and yeah that's where we met how, how, did did you realize that instantly when you saw each other again or had you been keeping in touch or no we hadn't kept in touch in man how long was that 10 Mm-hmm. 12 years yeah yeah we, we we eventually realized that when he it was when he came out for his trial i was like you recognize yeah yeah and then he cut that promo and i was like man i really really hope they sign this guy now it's funny you're talking about playing basketball and 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 gosh i don't know how tall you really are six eight whatever maybe six nine six nine and a half, six, nine and a half yeah. yeah i mean you're tailor-made for wrestling pretty much you, you got the hair you got the look you know what i mean you can talk you got you just giant pretty much a giant guy and you were a big wrestling fan yeah when you when you were a kid yeah this is something you've always wanted to do oh yeah ever since i was younger i mean i went to college for pre-med and but once i graduated college i knew i had to pursue wrestling but yeah i've been a fan since i was like everybody says i'm a fan since i can remember i mean that's a cliche thing to say but honestly like my earliest memories are, are of wrestling uh my first show was at Madison Square Garden in February '92. There was an incident with Hogan and and Sid going into WrestleMania eight. There was some controversy at the end of a battle royal and stuff. And I vividly remember like seeing Hogan, seeing Sid. That's like, if not my earliest memory, one of my earliest memories. How old were you there? Man, no, '92. February '92, I was four, five, four. Wow, yeah, four years old. Yeah, wow. and I remember we were going to Madison Square Garden. My dad said, "Yeah." We, because uh, it was an afternoon show uh, on a Saturday. It was a Superstars uh, taping, or it might have been live. But my dad was telling me, yeah, we're going to Madison Square Garden. I don't know what that means. So when we're walking towards the building, I'm I'm expecting the show's going to be outdoors in a, in a garden. <laughs> <laughs> like carrots, plants, and <laughs> yeah. tomato so we, plants. So we got there. I was like, this, is this it? And yeah, I was like, oh, okay. Cause I was exp- you, know, you know what's funny that you say that? Because my dad played for the Rangers, yeah. and I was probably at the garden when I was four years old, three years old, five years old. And I don't think I've ever said that story before, but now that you say that, I can remember somehow that strikes a chord. Like yeah. the first time I was told Madison Square Garden, I was expecting, you know, like the Hanging Gardens of Babylon or something. <laughs> yeah. And and it's like, what is this place with all these people in it? Where's yeah. the garden? Just a massive greenhouse with a hockey rink. Yeah, yeah. Like, I'm expecting my grandma garden. So yeah. I'm expecting, like, my grandma's house or something. Yeah. Know? That's right. exactly what was going through my head. I remember <laughs> that distinctly. And, uh, yeah, that was my first first, first experience. Time. Yeah. But you, there was a bunch of times when you were in the crowd. Like, there was a t- I told you a story once where I – 
hit rock with a chair after I kind of heard him and I swung. I was a little bit careless. And then you came back a couple of weeks later and said, I think I was there. Yeah. When you told me the story, I said, yeah, I think I was there, man. And uh, I said, I'm pretty sure it was Nassau Coliseum. We were debating whether it was Nassau or Meadowlands. Mm-hmm. I was like, man, that, that sounds too familiar. I'm pretty sure I was there. So I went back and I went through all of like October, November of 2001 because that's when you and The Rock were kind of mm-hmm. feuding. And I went through all the Raws and the one – that this was was the end of the one at the Nassau Coliseum which I was at and uh yeah and I remember I sent you the picture of like a sign I had or something like that it didn't make sense I did I I don't I forget what it said but I'm gonna rock with you or something (laughs) yeah it was like a pro rock sign (laughs) but it didn't really make sense like you know all the rock in the world it was horrible but yeah I I made it just to get on tv and guess what you're on tv mission accomplished yeah that's so funny yeah Yeah. it was like uh we were running out of time and I was supposed to hit rock with a chair and it was like you got 30 seconds to go off the air and I just swung this chair and hit him in his arm and he got hurt but he didn't really get hurt and then I got in trouble and I was telling that story like yeah like, I think I was there dude so you used to go yeah. to all those shows in that area yeah uh, Nassau Coliseum Meadowlands Madison Square Garden of course uh, everything uh, pay-per-views especially me and my dad we would wait online when the tickets went on sale like early in the morning, sometimes like 5 a.m. to like, because tickets went on sale at 10 a.m. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Ticketmaster, and you know, the, back in those days, it was probably your best bet to get the tickets at the box office at the arena. Pay per views were a must. Uh, after, I didn't get to go to WrestleMania 10. After that, every pay per view in the area I went to, anything at Nassau, which was rare pay per view wise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Garden, I went to everyone, SummerSlam 98, Survivor Series 96, 2000 Rumble, like every pay per view there, every pay per view at, the Meadowlands. After that, I went to after WrestleMania ten. I would go to, and then of course Raw and SmackDown and house shows here and there. Why did you miss ten? Money, timing, oh, gotcha. yeah, just yeah, just couldn't make it work. Couldn't make it work. But just what you just said is so funny. Waiting online, I used to do that. You'd get up at four in the morning, go down yeah. to the arena, and wait in line to buy a ticket. Yeah, there was no StubHub then, or even like online or whatever. Just go. Yeah, if you got there first, you got one. Exactly, and especially in that area that. The New York, New Jersey area, any show would sell out so quick. So the, I don't know why. I don't remember how it worked, but going to the box office was your best bet because if you went to a Ticketmaster outlet at like the Wiz or something, 10 minutes after tickets went on sale, like, we're out. Mm-hmm. No tickets left in that area, especially right, for right, pay-per-views right. and stuff. Yeah, yeah. So the best bet was to go to the arena and, and get tickets. And hang out at the box office. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and the lines there would be long. But I remember there was one incident actually where uh SummerSlam 2002 we were waiting outside Nassau Coliseum the day tickets went on sale we couldn't believe how long this line was it was insane and it wasn't moving after it was like 10 20 10 30 a.m and I'm freaking out I'm like we're not gonna get tickets so fine we just keep calling Ticketmaster we keep finally we got through and we got tickets through the phone service Ticketmaster which also sounds like ancient calling <laughs> yeah, Ticketmaster yeah, yeah, yeah. to get tickets. And I remember we got tickets. They were, they were way up, but we got tickets and all these other people online were still waiting. And I remember like knowing we had the tickets and walking by everybody that was stalling on. Like, yeah, that's right. We're going, you're not, <laughs> we're going to SummerSlam. Yeah, yeah. We're going to, I was on that one. I think, uh, I remember that at, at Nassau College. I think I worked with Ric Flair. Yeah. I don't uh, know why I remember that. That was a hot, hot crowd, man. Yeah. It was wild. Well, NASA, you never knew what you're going to get. Sometimes it'd be quiet. Sometimes it'd be hot. Sometimes there'd be multiple fights in the crowd. Oh, yeah. Which made the crowd hot, but no one's paying attention to what's going on in the ring. Yeah. Coliseum is weird, and it's just uh, 
that crowd it's hard to to un, like predict what they're going to like mm-hmm. and what they're not going to like sometimes they they love their baby faces sometimes they love their heels what was the the best show that you saw from that time frame is the one that stands out in your mind or, or a match that stands out um from that time frame <sighs> like when you were going to shows when i was going to shows i'd have to say that that SummerSlam 02 is one of the best shows i've ever been to also royal rumble 2000 in the mm-hmm. garden triple h and cactus jack street fight mm. Um, Jericho versus China versus Bob Holly. Yeah. <laughs> Three-way. Yeah. Um, also, uh, the Elimination Chamber in, in the Garden, oh. Survivor Series 02. Wow. Yeah, that was that was a good match, too. Those, I'm trying to think. Survivor Series 02 and SummerSlam 02 It's so funny because that's like, you know, I was there for all those shows. That's yeah, like yeah. One of my eras, I guess you'd say, was right around that time frame. I can remember yeah. all of them yeah. when you point them out. So are you going to these shows as a six-foot Eight guys, six foot nine. Are you no, that big? Tiny. I was I was five foot eight till my junior year of high school. Wow. Yeah, I was a late bloomer, and then I hit a growth spurt, and I came back uh, my junior year. And people were like, "What the hell happened to you?" Over one summer, I grew like eight nine inches. How does that even happen? I have no idea. It's I've, almost like unhealthy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> people people were stunned. It was a different human being, I guess. Wow. People were looking at me all weird, like the first day of junior year. It was just like one thought, summer. Like, what the hell were you eating? Yeah, I just shot up. Is that something that's in your family? Is your dad tall? Or? My dad's uh, 6'1". My mm-hmm. mom's tall. She's 5'11". So. But not as tall yeah, as you. Yeah. I don't know. I, I remember there was a time where I, I think I broke my hand in high school. And uh, I had to get a, an x-ray. And the doctor told me, you, uh, your growth plate in your wrist is, is huge. You're probably going to be 6'5", 6'6". Because hmm. I could tell by your growth plate you have a lot of growing to do. So I said, oh, yeah. So the next uh, day I went into class and I told the kid in front of me. I, I remember his name is Jeremy Fardella, if he ever listens to this. <laughs> Shout uh, out to Jeremy Fardella. Yeah. He, I told him, hey, man, I'm going to be I'm gonna be 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six, the doctor told me. And he said, you know, I'm five foot eight. He's looking at me. He's like, yeah. All right there, bro. Yeah, not happening. And then lo and behold, here we are. So is that when you decided you wanted to start uh, thinking about getting into wrestling when you, when you had this growth spurt? Yeah, that's when I started realizing maybe I could be able to do Because you always think, man, I, I, I want to do it. Mm-hmm. Is it realistic? Mm-hmm. Once Can I, I actually make it happen? Right. And once I got to that height, I, you know, especially going after college, I was thinking, man, I feel like I, I have to pursue this because this is what I've always wanted to do. And I feel like this is I have a good chance of doing this because mm-hmm. of just my size. Right, alone, right. that based on that alone, because it's like when people see it's like, yeah, you should be a wrestler. Yeah, 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 you should play basketball. And but back then, I had yeah, that's the one I always. Do you play basketball? No, no, I don't play basketball. <laughs> Did man. you ever even try? No, I played in I played in uh, high school and in okay. college. Yeah, but uh, that's the question I get asked like on the street. Even now, yeah, football right. player, basketball. How tall are you? You know, yeah, random people. How tall are you? It's just. You get that all the time. I know Big Show gets that. How tall are you? Yeah, yeah. It's just like, man, come on. Just let me relax. <laughs> you got something else. Yeah. Is it the same thing, really? Yeah. Exactly. So when did you start training then? Like, how did you... I know you didn't start at NXT. You actually trained before that, right? Yeah, I trained with Johnny Rods and Brooklyn. The famous Johnny Rods. Yeah. Tommy Dreamer and Devon Dudley, I know for sure. Yeah, Taz. Taz, yeah, right. He's a 1996 WWE, WWE Hall of Famer. He, really? Yeah. He was wow. in... Wow. Yeah. In 96. Cool. Yeah. There's a famous school in the area. Yeah, in, in 
Dumbo is actually the name of the area in Brooklyn. It's by the Manhattan. Dumbo? Down under the Manhattan Bridge overpass. It's just like, yeah. It's right. That's real New York over there. Yeah, it's just, you know, Dumbo. It's uh, right there in Brooklyn. It's right by the Manhattan Bridge. It's actually Mm -hmm. really close to the Brooklyn Bridge, too, on Front Street uh, at Gleason's Gym. I think they actually just moved around the block. But, yeah, I started training with Johnny Rods because he was in the area. He was reputable. And I could take the train there because I didn't have a car. Mm-hmm. So I had to, like, you know, get on one train to another train to another train. Right, right. And then, uh, yeah, so I started with, with Johnny Rods in, in Brooklyn. And I was there for about a year and a few months. Now, did you – I mean, you're a very charismatic guy. You know, obviously we talked about that. Had you done any type of performing before that at all, like the plays or anything like that? Or Man, no, I don't, I don't, I don't think I did any sort of, like, real – reputable performing or anything like that i was always performing like w- even with my basketball team and stuff i would give pregame speeches and stuff and i would like cut promos like the rock and mm-hmm. i would cut wrestling promos in the locker room like at halftime and stuff i was always doing stuff like that but i was never like acting or on stage mm-hmm. or anything like that no because you're a good singer too yes yeah. Well, you know, I don't want to toot my own. No, I'm, but I'm saying it. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> you've, you've heard me in the locker room sometimes. <laughs> yeah. 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 I was always singing too, like stuff like that, singing on trains and stuff like that. I remember in college, singing on train platforms and just, you on know. The platform. Yeah. In college. With like a hat in front of you making some cash. <laughs> yeah. Like a little, <laughs> coffee, little coffee cup, shaking it <laughs> yeah. up, asking. I'll never go from rags to riches. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh. Yeah, I mean, always, you know, I was always singing, always performing in a way, just like goofing off with with your Mm -hmm, boys, mm -hmm. but never anything official. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. This this is Talk is Jericho. Being a wrestling fan in the early 2000s, you mentioned The Rock. Was The Rock your favorite guy? Or No, The Rock wasn't. I, I kind of... My guys, so... Bret Hart, originally, and then... Um, into Austin, into Triple H, and then uh, I was a huge Brock Lesnar fan when he when he debuted. Mm. Yeah, because I remember just the night after WrestleMania 18, he debuted and his debut. He just came in and just destroyed three guys, like absolutely annihilated. Kind of what he does now, still. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I remember just thinking, who the f is this guy? Right. And I was on that bandwagon uh, right there in 02. But before that. Triple H and mm-hmm. Stone Cold and Bret Hart. Yeah. So when you started training with with Johnny, um, was it fairly easy for you? Was he in the ring hands on? Yeah, I mean, he didn't get in the ring that much. If he needed to, he he, he would. And even at uh, his age, he, he could get in there and stretch some people mm-hmm. pretty badly. Um, yeah, I felt like I was athletic, and I felt like I had good footwork and running ropes and stuff like that. Uh, I f- felt. Yeah, that I was above average for where I should be. Like, just seeing everybody else that was training, mm-hmm. and especially for my size, because, you know, here comes the big clumsy idiot, you know. He, he, he No footwork. He's not going to be able to do anything. <laughs> I felt like I was, yeah, I felt like I was almost born, I don't know, born for it. or mm-hmm. and, and 
I don't know. I feel like people that watch wrestling their whole life are better when they step in a ring for the first time because it's just natural to them from watching it for so long. They just know and they're kind of imitating yeah. what they've seen. That's true. Yeah, so I feel like getting in the ring for the first time, if you're a lifelong fan and a real lifelong fan and you've always been watching it, I feel like you have a better, better chance for success because you've just, I don't know, you've been, you've been I guess, watching footage mm-hmm. your whole life you've been practicing your whole life for that i don't know yeah it, it's you have the foundation i know yeah. for, for, for like my friend and i used to wrestle each other in in my basement in my parents basement we put you know pillows down from the couch and we reenacted steamboat and savage wrestlemania 3 we knew the whole match off by heart and <laughs> yeah. we'd do it and you you know you would you would i remember we also used to i saw owen hart take a backdrop and land on his feet once the blue blazer so we used to do that off the chair, off the back of a chair, run over to like the big uh, futon chair that you, you, know, you lean back and the thing comes up where you put your legs on it. I just remember I'd run towards the chair, flip off the back of it and stand up. So the first time that I was ever in a ring with, with the Hart brothers, Keith Hart threw me off the ropes. You know, keeping in mind, I didn't know, even know how to hit the ropes. I knew nothing. It was the first time I'd ever been in the ring. He threw me off the ropes and said, take a backdrop. Didn't know how to bump. Didn't know how to do anything. How crazy is that? Like, throw off the ropes, take a backdrop to a guy who's never been in the ring before. Yeah. So when he threw me off, all I knew how to do was flip over and stand on my feet. And that's what I did. And I thought, I'm going to be the star pupil in the class. And then he beat the shit out of me. But <laughs> I still, he thought I was being a smartass. But I knew a little bit because I had been practicing and knew the concept of what wrestling was. Yeah. Whereas a lot of guys did not know that. Right. I think it does help when you when you started as a big fan. Definitely translates for sure. You know, absolutely. Yeah. So how long were you in, were you wrestling, having real matches out of Johnny's camp? It took me a while to have a mat, like a real match, a few months. What was your What was your uh, first? Who was your first match against? My first match was was it uh, a tag match? I think against was it me and Bad Billy Walker I, I, versus Reggae Dones, Reggae Dones, and uh, maybe Astro Morales. What I think that's name? what. I was Cowboy Big Bill Young. <laughs> I was a cowboy from Lubbock, Texas, man. Hey, dude, let me tell you something. My first match, I was a cowboy from Casper, Wyoming. Yeah. Cowboy Chris Jericho. There you go. He's the Cowboys Just unite. a couple of cowboys sitting in a room <laughs> talking, drinking coffee. A couple of jet-lagged cowboys drinking coffee. Now, let me yeah. ask you this. So I grew up in Calgary, or you know, I, I started in Calgary, which has a rodeo scene and is a big you know, cowboy area, yeah. uh, you know, Dumbo, uh, Queens, Bronx, not a lot of cowboys down there. How did you end up with the cowboy gimmick? So <laughs> there was this, there was this, uh, one of the elder statesmen at Johnny Rod school, his name was cowboy, bad Billy Walker. He was their top heel, I guess. And when I came in, Johnny saw a tall guy. He's like, Oh, he has potential. Uh, he might become something one day. So he put me with their top heel to be, you know, under his tutelage, maybe, you know, he'll gain experience. Gotcha. So I also had to be a cowboy, of course, because I was his nephew, Bad Billy Walker's nephew from yeah. Lubbock, Texas. So that's where they, that's where <laughs> they came up. brought the... down my nephew from Lubbock, Texas. He's <laughs> going to teach you a lesson. Exactly. And, of course, they got to call you Big. Of course. Because that's the way it is. Yeah, I'd like six nicknames. Cowboy, Big, Bill, <laughs> Young. <laughs> Young. Yeah. <laughs> so what was your uh, cowboy outfit? What did that entail? Oh, my Lord. Uh, I had like these... Like the first time when I debuted officially without no match, I just did a run in, of course, and gave someone a boot. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, nothing's changed. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I I wore like 
these de- like these horrible denim, this horrible denim jacket and jeans and sneakers. I didn't look like a cowboy at all, except for the freaking hat that I was wearing. <laughs> and then I, I started wearing these black overalls with a black hat and like cowboy-ish type boots. So I was really evolving, and eventually, I just started wearing black jeans and a black wife beater, and that's the the nickname for like the the under yeah, yeah the white the, the uh, yeah those tank top yeah sort of yeah. Thing, yeah. The Al Bundy shirt, yeah, exactly, and uh, and a black cowboy hat. Mm-hmm. So I was a, definitely not the most well dressed cowboy. You transformed into a gangster cowboy. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> a cowboy from Queens. <laughs> well, that's it worked though. You know, absolutely. Like you have no, and you have no choice. Yeah. When you first start, I remember like you know you want me to be a cowboy. Like I don't know anything about cowboys. I'm a rock and roll guy. It's like you're a cowboy. Yeah. All right. I'm a cowboy. There yeah. you go. I still have the program. Cowboy Chris Jericho from Casper, Wyoming. Did, did you have to do any? Did you like have to do anything cowboyish? Did you have well, to? Well, the wear thing like was, I, it's funny because I hated the idea, and I called one of the guys who had been training us, who probably had a year of experience, who said, "Well, if you don't want to do it, don't do it." And so I remember going back to the promoter saying, "I don't want to be a cowboy." Now, can you imagine some nineteen-year-old yeah, idiot saying, "I don't want to do something"? <laughs> I would have, I would have made the guy wear a, a Dumb and Dumber giant cowboy hat, you know. <laughs> But he didn't. He just said, well, then don't be a cowboy. But I was still listed as Cowboy Chris Jericho in the program. Yeah. So I never had to be overly cowboy. Oh, good for uh, you. So, yeah, I got out of it. I, I squeaked out of it. Typical Jericho right off the start. I didn't like it, so I <laughs> weaseled my way out of it. So, yeah, I didn't have a big cowboy regalia. And, you know, I would have been a great cowboy, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I think you would have. You know what I mean? You know what I, I mean? I think we should try it out. We could. Yeah. Just a couple of cowboys yeah. hanging out. Here in and, Germany. And just not say anything about it. Yeah, tonight, as a tag team, we just come out with cowboy hats on and don't. It's just big Cass and Jericho. Yeah, yeah. And like ride horses. Vests. Lasso, cowboy hats. Do lasso tricks. <laughs> How confused would the fans be tonight? Said, Who's these cowboys here? I don't understand the horses and the lassoes. Why is the giant with the little guy? <laughs> Um, so how did you finally get, get signed by WWE? I was going down to WrestleMania 26 as a fan. Which was in Phoenix. Phoenix. And I saw uh, Matt Stryker used to be uh, with WWE at the time, and he was at a bar down there. And I, uh, I met him uh, just by chance. I walked past him. And I said, hey, uh, I'm training with Johnny Rods. And he said, oh, really? Okay. Because he was a Rods guy too, right? Striker yes. Was? Yeah. Yeah. So the next show we had, so the next show we had after that, he actually came to watch me, hmm. and uh, I guess he, he he really was impressed, or at least he thought potential. You know, we could send him to developmental, and he could maybe become something. So he put a good word in with uh, John Laurinaitis, the head of talent relations at the time, and uh, when they came to Nassau Coliseum. The next year, it was almost the next year. It was two days after the Royal Rumble in 2011. I remember I was sitting up, um, like in front of my computer at home, and I get a call from a 203 number. Never knew. Now you know, get a call from a 203 yeah. number. You're like, run for the hills. <laughs> yeah, you don't answer. <laughs> yeah, but I never got a call from a 203, and I didn't even know what that was. So I picked up, and it was John Laurinaitis, and he said, uh, "We have SmackDown tonight at Nassau Coliseum. Can you make it out here?" I said, "Yeah, for sure." So I just went out. Drove out there as fast as I could. It was snowing too, right? And just met with Johnny Ace and sat down and chatted. And then he sent me to Florida for a tryout, and that's how I ended up getting signed. So it was very quickly you got signed. Yeah, after meeting with John Lauren, it was very quickly. See, once again, you look at a guy like you. It's like 
I, th- I think it was it was maybe somebody was talking about in boxing, but it's true in wrestling. Like a little guy has to prove himself to make it. A big guy keeps getting chance after chance after chance, and that's not good or bad. Or that's just the nature of the business. It's that's true. Yeah. So a guy like you walks in, and they're probably like, "Holy shit!" There's not a lot of six foot nine guys that have been training and good looking guy wants to get in the business. So yeah, it wasn't too much of a of a hard decision, I imagine. Yeah, well, I didn't look exactly look like this when I got signed. <laughs> you see pictures of me when I first got the FCW. Short hair, no facial hair, uh, way skinnier than I am yeah, now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, yeah, they, I guess they just saw my height and they said, well, you know, we'll give him a shot, mm-hmm. you know, because you never know. How would you get the name of, of was Colin Cassidy? Right? I, I pitched oh, so many names because when you get there, you just have to be pitching names. I always love these stories. Yeah. yeah, and I'm just pitching. Like They asked for like a list of 25 first names and a list of 25 last names. So I pitched all these different name combinations. And uh, I really liked the last name Costigan because my favorite uh, movie is The Departed. And Billy Costigan is uh, the character in the, in the movie. Is that the one that Wahlberg plays is that DiCaprio? That's DiCaprio, DiCaprio. Billy Costigan. Yeah, yeah, Costigan. I really liked that last name, and I really was pushing for that one. But lo and behold, here we go, Colin Cassidy. So that was the name I was given. Of course, you roll with it. You know, I'm not going to. Where did com- Colin come from? Uh, it was one of my first names. I don't know because they. So I I gave them a bunch of names that I would have liked, and they just chose one random first name from a name that I gave them with a different last name, oh, yeah. but just a diff a random last name from another name I gave them. So yeah, here's your name. What was the Colin name? What do you mean? Where what was the last name for Colin? I, I think that might have been. Colin Castigan? No, no. Costigan was uh, – what the hell was the first name for – I forget the first name for Costigan. <laughs> I pitched like five different names with the last name Costigan. Yeah. My first five were all Costigan. I forget. Right, right, right. It definitely wasn't a C though because I didn't want to – I didn't they want to like double – Yeah. double letter yeah. names. Don't Love they? it. Yeah. And then I remember I went into Dusty and I was like, I don't know if I like the – I don't know if I like the name. And he, he, you know, he sits there and he, he looks just into midair and he's – you know, as if he's looking at a billboard, he goes, Colin Cassidy. I could see it. Yes, that's what we're doing. Colin Cassidy. So when <laughs> Dusty put the stamp on it, I was like, all right, let's do it. No, it's, you know, talking with, with all you guys that came from NXT, and there's so many of you now in this, in this day and age, probably 75% of the roster. How, how influential and important was Dusty Rhodes to, to you and, and all the guys you worked with? Oh, words can't, you can't put it into words, man. Mm-hmm. Just, how influential he was uh, to every all. I'd say anybody that went through FCW that's on the main roster right now, and everybody in NXT that got to sit down with Dusty, tremendously influenced by by him. Mm-hmm. Just character wise, promo wise, he he was always hands on. He always had time for everybody. He would sit and, if you knocked on his door and just sat down. Sometimes I would just like to knock on his door and just kind of shoot the shit with him, you know, just mm-hmm. not even talk wrestling or talk, just go in there and just chat and talk movies and stuff. He was a big, big, loved movies. Oh, yeah? We, yeah, we always used to talk about movies after promo class. Like what kind of movies did he like? Anyway, did he like? Did he like, yeah. Uh, man, he likes so many. He It's just, uh, I can't think of one in particular that was his favorite. I'm there was oh god, it's slipping my mind right now. There was one he always talked about. Uh, I forget what it was, but after class, he would just anybody seen any movies this week, and well, one person would bring it up. Then he we start a conversation. Then another movie got mentioned. We'd start. So we'd be talking about movies for like a half an hour after uh, after mm-hmm. promo class. 
That's pretty cool, like the human side of Dusty Rhodes. Right? Yeah, yeah. And yeah, anybody that went through NXT or FCW just tremendously influenced by And we've him. talked about this before. It's like, you know, you talk about uh, with other people, like, you know, after he passed away, you haven't been able to, you know, replace him. Or, but you don't replace a guy like that. Can't be done. You can't bring in, like, guy A or guy B to, yeah. to do what Dusty did. Can't, can't be done. And just some of the stories he would tell and uh, – He's going to be missed you know, for forever, man. You can't replace that guy. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Talk is Jericho. So when you got called up, what were some of the big differences between WWE and NXT? Travel was number one. Mm -hmm. Travel was way more hectic and way more intense in WWE. Man... Just larger audience, of course, like going from you know, full sale TV tapings, which is, I don't know, six, seven hundred people, mm-hmm. maybe a thousand. I don't know. But uh, it's a buildings of 15,000 and stuff right. like that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, it's just everything's of a larger magnitude. Every Getting recognized places like in Orlando, I'd get recognized just because of NXT. Now I get recognized everywhere. Just anywhere I am, just someone because you know more eyes are on the product more people are familiar with who you are um yeah it's getting recognized more the travel was way more intense uh bigger audience just everything on a grander grander scale was probably the biggest was, was it a hard for you a big change because you guys as an act in nxt was enzo Cass and carmella yeah and then when you guys got brought up to WWE, it was just you and Enzo with no Carmella. Right. How was that? And how did, did you know that Like when you got called up? Was it a last-minute decision? Yeah. When Triple H told me and Enzo, what you don't see on that documentary is like five minutes after that, he talked to Carmella and told her she wasn't coming with us, which obviously was you know, upsetting. Mm-hmm. But he told her it's, it's what's best for her. And I got to be honest, I, I believe it because if she would have came up with us, she would have just been playing second fiddle yeah, she to me and Enzo. Yeah. She, you know what I mean? Yeah. And she wouldn't have really been able to make as much of a name for herself. Her being on her own a few more months in NXT and then coming up to SmackDown, Smackdown on her own, I think it really, really helped her because she's her own established character. Besides like some fans that'll chant, how you doing? Like There's no real link between me and Enzo and her uh, in terms of television product or... To, the audience doesn't really know that, except for the you know the few mm-hmm. that small percentage. It's NXT fans, but I think it probably helped you guys out a bit too. Coming oh. in as baby faces, it's hard. Yeah, as baby faces to have a hot chick with you. Oh, as heels, oh, yeah, but yeah. baby faces is different, right? Having the hot chick with you is definitely a heel move. Yeah, yeah, because everyone you know jealous and or whatever it is. Who are these guys? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, what do they do to deserve that? Exactly. You know? right, right, right. Yeah, so that it did help us also because uh, yeah, like you said. Having the hot chick always is just, it's just always the heel, the heel mm-hmm. guy. You know, mm-hmm. how do we want to make this guy a bigger heel? You put a hot valet, you know, a hot valet with him. That's, mm-hmm. you know, it's been sure, done, sure, it's totally, been done totally. forever, you know. Totally. But another thing you just mentioned when you said the how you do, I mean, you guys are basically, that's, that's just street talk, dudes talking to each other 
in the area of the country that you come from, you're talking about Jersey or Queens or that area. Yeah. Is a lot of the stuff you do just stuff that you is New York style talk? Yeah, how you doing is just a yeah, classic common saying. Like, right. It's just everybody says that in New York yeah. or New Jersey. How you doing? That that one's like that one's, you know, easy. The soft, no, that's that's obviously not really New York talk, but a, a lot of the stuff we say is yeah, just New York slang and, and Jersey slang and stuff like that. We we just take from our past experiences and people from home, even if I'm talking to a friend on the phone and he says something that I find is funny, and I know Enzo does the same thing, we'll just steal it. <laughs> if he says something and it pops us and we start laughing yeah. when we get off the phone, go to your little notebook on the iPhone, <laughs> type in what he said. Okay, I could use that in a promo. Save it for later, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and that's it's funny because you do the how you doing uh, riff almost like Austin used to do the, the what. Right. Yeah, I think I think we did that one time, or I, I gave oh, you an idea to do that, or something. Yeah, we did. Wow, man, you gave it. That's the idea, and I forget what town it was. Whatever but it was, the yeah. one I remember where it was ridiculous was uh, Green Bay, Wisconsin. We started naming cheeses, <laughs> and and like you said, instead of the what, it was just the how you doing. Right. It was like cheddar, how you doing? Right. Sharp cheddar, how you doing? Colby Jack, how you doing? Pepper Jack, how you? The one, last time we were, actually we'll be in Green Bay next Monday. Yeah. The last time we were there was was that raw. See, that's right. And people love that, and that's why yeah. I had that idea. Because Steve and I used to do that with anything. Yeah. Come over to to you know to England and talk about bands, or go, the one I used to love is like you know here we are in Los Angeles. What the city that never sleeps? What the River City? What Cowtown? What the Big <laughs> Apple? What like just any. Any city nickname you could think wasn't of. wasn't even the right nickname. Right. You just, yeah. That might be Steve right now talking about it to, to see. That might be uh, our wake-up call. We always get wake-up calls. Oh, yeah. That probably is uh, our wake-up call. See if we're, let me see where the phone is. Hello? Wake-up call. Thank you. See, that's the real... That's 12, that's 12 minutes early. What the hell are they doing? That could have been, that could have been 12 minutes of valuable sleep you could have been And by getting, the way, in man. case you guys think it's 6 in the morning or something like that, it's 4.30 in the afternoon. Yeah. We get our wake-up calls. Because we got the that's, shit. That's how, yeah. We got to be on the bus at what, 5.15? 5.15, yeah. Right. But so, so, so the bottom line is that people love the rift. Like I said, we used to do like yeah. the cities with the nicknames or the cheese. I think Steve and I did cheeses before, which is probably where the idea came yeah. from. But people like, uh, I mentioned before, the sing-along. They like being a part of the show. Of course. And you guys do that, which was a huge part of the Attitude Era. And it comes and goes. But now Enzo and Cass, you have that. And people love it. Yeah. We want to go out there and have fun with the fans is to have them play along. And when you go to a show, you, you want to be a, part, a big part of it. And... We we try to incorporate them just like that because they love doing stuff like that. The fans. So what, what what's your most popular catchphrase? Because there's so many of them. Think all like even the t-shirts that you have made and stuff. How you doing, soft and cup of haters probably. Cup of haters. That's fairly new. Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to think of anything else that's not nah, those and three. Seven feet tall and you can't teach that. Yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah, certified G bona fide yeah, yeah, stud yeah. can't teach that. Yeah, they can't teach that. That's yeah. I, yeah. I think Enzo explained that to us on the show before. But I, that, you know, seven feet tall. Yeah. Can't teach that. Great, great line. Yeah. And and speaking of being seven feet tall, six foot nine and a half, whatever it may be. A few times over the past year, I mean, most of the time it's been tag team stuff, but there's been a few moments where you've had single matches. Yeah. Uh, the one that pops into mind is the Fatal 4-Way for the number one contender. The Universal Title the Match. Universal Title Match, it was yeah. in Houston, yeah. So so how was that for you to kind of get those moments on your own? It's good, man. Like, Enzo went down with an injury, which is always unfortunate and mm-hmm. sucks, but it gave me a chance to, to kind of um, shine a little bit on my own. And, uh, yeah, after the night after he 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 went down, I I was in a I believe it was a six man tag or an eight man tag on Raw, 
And I guess I did pretty well because the next week they had me in the opening seg and the final seg with you. And you remember, right. remember putting the seg together. I was really nervous about doing it. And then you were so generous. You're like, dude, you know, you were like, this so is I had what, you come sit right. Yeah. You're like, this is what we're going to do with you. You know, we were putting it together and you're all like hands on, like wanting to make me like look, you gotta you look, know, like look a giant. Exactly. Yeah. And you were just like, yeah. And then you just stepped to me and you boomed me up. You know, it was, you know, that was to me was, was awesome because, you know, I'd just been put on the main roster, quote unquote. And now I'm in the opening segment, the final segment with Chris Jericho. Just awesome dude, you know, and you were like extremely helpful. You know, like when you come up to the main roster, you don't know people's personalities that well because we were only been up three weeks, maybe. Mm-hmm. But and I was like nervous. I was like, oh man, but you were like so putting it together, so hands on and just, and just so, yeah, we got to make you look great here and then you got to look great here. Like it was just like, man, you know, it was. Wasn't it was the idea. Um... Were we supposed to have a match? Is that the night that Ambrose destroyed yeah, we're my supposed jacket? Yeah, we were supposed to have the main event match, and then you, Ambrose jumps jumps you from behind. Right. <laughs> and then you beat me up, too. Yeah, the, the funniest. Lost my jacket. The funniest part about it was because of uh, cameras and angles, I had to hide like behind the stairs almost under the ring while you and Ambrose did what you were doing. <laughs> and then I had to watch the, the Tron to see where once you got to the almost to the bell ringer's corner, when you were leaving, I had to then get up and walk around and meet you front side. But like that whole time, I'm sitting there, and people in the front row are right there looking at me. Like, what, are you, what are you doing? I see you there. <laughs> what? Aren't you supposed to have a match? And then they're fighting on the stage. You're just lying on the floor. <laughs> and that's the worst because there's only two or three people that can see it. But those ones that get in your head, like, yeah. Whenever you're selling, they're like, "Get up! You're not hurt." And you're supposed to say, like, "Fuck off!" And they're taking pictures and stuff yeah, too. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I remember that though. Yeah, I got I got jumped from behind. I got my fifteen thousand dollars jacket destroyed and i got beat up by you yeah and i'm supposed to be the heel yeah, yeah <laughs> boy yeah. what a heel i am <laughs> jeez you feel bad for me right yeah <laughs> but then there was that that four yeah. way you yeah. talked about that was a great great match there. yeah that, that was a good opportunity for me mm-hmm. um yeah the night after SummerSlam, i guess finn going down again injury man injury yeah. unfortunate but it leads to opportunity and I had the uh, number one contenders match for the Fatal Four Way against Rusev. I won that, and then yeah, that that match uh, in Houston. That's probably my favorite match I've had since. Which one is it? The, on the, the Fatal Four Way, right? The Universal Title. Yeah. I remember I came back from that match after I'd been eliminated, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. And I remember I came back and I, who is it? I remember talking to Vince real quickly, but I might have been Hunter, and I told, yeah, it was definitely Hunter. I said. That's the most fun I've had in my entire life. And I was like, not just wrestling. That was the most fun I've ever had in my life. Anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like a good crowd. Like when you're in there with so many guys that are established and they're, it just there's a different feel to it. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. When there's like even uh, our match at SummerSlam with you and Kevin. Like when you have guys that are so established and over, like it just makes the match so much better because the fans just react so much mm-hmm. differently, you know, because they, they know so all much the, easier. Yeah, they, it's yeah. exactly that's it's so much easier when you're mm-hmm. so, yeah, it was the most fun I've ever had. And yeah, I, I felt like uh, I was given an opportunity that night. I felt like I did pretty did well. Did you get any feedback from Hunter or Vince? Yeah, yeah, Re- they were, you know, really, 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 really good. Uh, 
Because I would I would think that's the you know the end game here. I mean, Enzo and Cass, great tag team, and you guys can be a tag team for the rest of the time. But there's going to be times when you split apart and come back together and split apart. And, of course, all great tag teams do. You know, sure, yeah, they go that route. So yeah, I'm sure that he'll he'll be a singles guy and I'll be a singles guy. Mm-hmm. And I think that was kind of a litmus test for for me. Right. I think that's why you know it was done. Uh, yeah. It was a litmus test for me, and I think it passed. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah. Like you said, it's your first chance to really be in the, like you said, in a, in a big spotlight, in a big position by yourself. Right. You know, in either sink or swim. Because yeah. I always yeah. think, too, like I think you working for the world title or, or U.S. title, I think Enzo would be great for the cruiserweight title. Yeah. I think, honestly, if they put him in that division, it's personality up the ass. Whole it, different it, element, yeah. Whole different element. It's a legit top star in this in this world, I think it would put a whole new uh, focus on that title. Yeah, and he's he's the right size for it. You yeah. know, I think it'd be a, a great way to do it. Kind of, you guys do both of those things. Yeah, he's under. Yeah, he's he's under two. Right. Five, I yeah. mean, gosh, he's got to be close to it. You yeah. know. Just as we wind down here, one thing I was going to talk about. I know that you're a huge Springsteen fan. Yeah. How many times have you seen Bruce Springsteen live? It's twenty five, twenty six. <laughs> yeah. Now, where does that come from? Uh, Springs. Uh, yeah, the fanaticism. Love of Springsteen. Just you know, going to concerts with my dad when I was younger. Okay, so your dad's yeah, a big fan. big fan. Yeah, always taking me to concerts and shows, and yeah, that's kind of like a bonding thing that we've had. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so whenever he's in the area, we always always go. I remember uh, there was one tour, it was the Rising tour. We must have seen him six times on one that one tour. We saw him like four times at Giant Stadium and twice at Shea. Like, uh, yeah, just. And then, the, you know, the Magic Tour, we saw him at the Garden and the Coliseum a few times. Like, yeah, it's just like some, if he's in the area and me and my dad are both there, we go no matter what. Is your dad uh, proud of you for being in the WWE? Oh, I'm sure, yeah. 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 <laughs> Does he come to your shows? Yeah, yeah. He comes all the time. Well, when we're in the area, uh, yeah. New, the New York, New Jersey area, yeah. And he's uh, he'll be at WrestleMania. That's great. Yeah. The thing I love about uh, Springsteen just going back is I only saw him once, but – I love the the calling it on the fly oh, yeah. element. Yeah, you know, I'd never seen that before, and I think after when I read the set list back, there was maybe three or four songs that I knew, and you know, twenty that I'd never heard. But the whole show was so much fun because, as you know, people just hold up signs. Yeah, and he goes to the crowd, just picks the signs of the song. The song, a song title will be on the sign. Yes, right, and then he he puts them all in a pile on the stage. He'll just as he's doing a song, say he's doing like a, I don't know, Born to Run. He's as he's slapping hands in front of the stage. He's also grabbing signs and he throws them in a pile on the stage. And then eventually they'll finish a song. He'll look at the pile. He'll put his hand in and he'll pull out a random sign, just one that he had picked as he was just doing another song. And he would he'll just pull out a random sign and. Uh, they'll play that song right there. And I've been at a concert before where he pulled pulled the sign out. They started playing, okay, and then uh, it like messed up. And Stevie Van Zandt had to come over to him. To, no, it, that's the wrong. He's like, "What, what key is this song?" And, he's, <laughs> and then they had to like, okay, he had like a side conversation with Stevie because he had to explain to him how to start the song. And then one, two, three, bang, and they went back yeah. into it. Yeah, because he I totally is, forgot. Is he showed the sign to to the drummer to Max Weinberg? Yep. And then I, it seemed to me that as long as Max saw it, everyone else would just have to kind of follow through. Because yeah. there's 15 people on stage. There's a big horn section now. Yeah. There's three guitar players. Tom Morello was playing with them that night. Oh, wow. I mean, there's a real sort of like, you better, you're holding on by the skin of your teeth, but you better freaking do it. Yeah. 
you know? Yeah, yeah. I remember I read something in Rolling Stone when um, when Clarence Clemens passed away that he had, and, and it was a genius move. Instead of replacing just Clarence, because you couldn't do that, yeah. he brought in three guys. One is his nephew and a couple yeah. of the cats. And I guess he went over there and, and told uh, his nephew, Jake, during one of the earlier shows to play a solo. And Jake didn't really know what to do and kind of miffed it and didn't really do much. And I yeah. guess I think maybe it's Van Zandt or someone came over and said to him, listen, dude, come here. When the boss tells you to play a solo, you play a solo. And if you don't, you ain't getting any more solos. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, next time I got told to do a solo, I ripped that money. I, I was into it. But yeah, yeah, of course. I just I, I found a lot of um, similarities between calling a match in the ring, which is a lost art. I can still do it, but you don't yeah. do it much. Yeah. And what Springsteen was doing with that set, I just really enjoyed watching it from that aspect of it, where every night is a different show. Always. And if you're going to a Springsteen show and you want to sing along to every song, then you better know his entire catalog. Right. Because he will pull songs out that you've never heard before. So, yeah, if you want to know every song that he's playing that night, you better know every song he's ever done because he'll – he pulls anything out. You know? That's what makes it fun for him. Yeah. You know, it's something that like, like we used to do a lot more in wrestling where every match was different from the night before. Yeah. You know, now you do get into a little bit of a zone and when something's working, why change it? But I always love that aspect of let's play song B or do move B. Well, that, that sucked. Yeah, I know, but it was fun. Yeah, exactly. We won't do it again, yeah, but yeah. it was fun, right? Exactly. Is that something you guys ever learned at all about the art of calling it in the ring? Or was that? Yeah, when I started with, uh, with Johnny. Johnny Rods, yeah, we used to just uh, – we used to just take corners. That was a, a, that was like my favorite thing we ever did, and it's like a training exercise too. That uh, you know, I, I feel like maybe we should bring it back, or you know, mm. is uh, everyone just takes corners and you're just working a match, but you're tagging in and out. And there's like two people in each corner, so there's eight guys. So there's ten guys to a ring, two guys in each corner. You just couldn't get in there, call some spots, work a little bit tag out that guy mm -hmm. comes in you know what i mean and just everyone's tagging in and out by the end of the you know the drill it's two hours later the ring is drenched in sweat you know what i mean and mm -hmm. i remember that was one of my favorite things to do where we just take corners i've never been a producer nor will i ever be one but i thought if i ever was every night i'd put up the card you know and we'd see who the card is and mm -hmm. right every night before the show I'd switch two matches around. So, like, just before you're about to go out, if it's like, you know, Cass and versus Enzo and Jericho versus you know Sami Zayn, five minutes before, okay, uh, change Jericho and Cass go out there. What, what are we supposed to do? Like, uh, I don't know. Figure it out. You got ten minutes. Like, how bad could it be? And you would learn a lot, which which really helps your skills and sharpening that improv, yeah. following what's you know what, what's following what you want to do according to the reactions that you're getting. Yeah, they, you know? they do do that sometimes uh, in NXT. That, that happened to that. me, man, two years ago. I went out for a match. I don't even remember who. It was the opening match. I don't even remember who I was supposed to be working with. and But it wasn't Elias Sampson, I'll tell you that. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, Elias Sampson's music hits, and out comes the drifter with his guitar. And, his, <laughs> and we had to call the match on the fly in the ring. We actually did... At least we thought we did really, really well because we had this whole spot with the guitar pick, and finally he freaks out and flicks it in my face, and the crowd went, "Oh no, you didn't, bro!" <laughs> and then we, you know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, yeah, and we had to call the whole match out there. They do that sometimes there, and in FCW we used to have kayfabe cards, which was there'd be no card. Nice. And they would just tell people to get dressed, and they would just have uh, 
you go out like they'd have the card, but they wouldn't tell anybody mm-hmm. and be like, all right, you're up now. And yeah, but that's back when FCW was doing, you know, buildings of 10 people. Yeah. Now people come to see the NXT product. They can't be doing that. That's what ECW was like. The Paulie would be making the card up along, along the, as the show went on. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So match two would be on the ring. It'd be like, okay, three, uh, Scorpio and Jericho, you guys are on next. I'm like, all right. Okay, uh, Taz and Tommy, guys are on fourth when we were out there. He would just put it together on how the crowd was reacting. Oh, He'd have really? a couple matches, maybe the main event would be set in stone. Yeah. But the rest he would put together kind of on the fly. Based on how the crowd was reacting. He would say that, but I think also he was just really super unorganized. Maybe a combination of the two. Okay. Yeah, but he he would do that. To, you know, and that was, like you said, the sign of uh, really watching the crowd and trying to give them what they were expecting in accordance to how they were reacting. Yeah, know? yeah. So, last couple yeah. questions. Uh, what's your favorite Springsteen song? Or favorite couple of Springsteen songs? Man, that's tough. Uh, I'm going to Backstreets. I like Backstreets. Okay. Yeah. Right on. Have you ever seen him play it live? Yeah, one time. <laughs> it's kind he, of an obscure tune. I don't think he ever – I think he rarely plays it live, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's kind of – yeah, it's one of his – it was a hit, but like he never plays it. Mm. Yeah. You ever met him? Nope. Would love to, man. <laughs> one of these days. Uh, it's going to ha- – yeah, He's not a wrestling fan. I, I, I could I imagine yeah, that, yeah. it's not his shtick. Yeah. I tried to meet him. Uh, I went to see him two nights after SummerSlam this year, and we had I had the PR guy, Adam – from WWE, yeah, try to con- try to con- contact his team to try to meet him. You got big, big cast wants to meet you, Springsteen. Maybe we could do this. Springsteen was fine. Get the hell out of here. The the pile of requests is bigger than the pile of songs that he's picking out of the crowd to yeah. meet him. Right, and he doesn't do he doesn't meet with anybody. No, he doesn't. Yeah, and that's what I love about those guys. Like McCartney's the same. Where yeah. It's like uh, the 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 uh, the head of the the guy who owns the arena wants to meet. He's like, yeah. I don't care. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll say this, though. You'll, you'll, I showed Adam this picture. I'll show it to you after the show. Um, we went to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame uh, a couple of years ago. It's become a yearly tradition, but it was the year Kiss got in. And uh, long story short, we ended up at the back uh, uh, backstage party after. We knew somebody that was a wrestling fan, got us into nice. the after show. Springsteen is there. Uh, I'm talking to him and I'm asking the dumbest questions because, like, you know, I think it was pretty loaded. And I remember I went to the bar and Jackson Brown was there, so I got a drink. I turned on the Springsteen stand and he's got like a, a down filled jacket. Yeah. You know, I was like, oh, you got your down filled jacket on. And he's, he's cold out there. And he's like, yeah, you know, it's my jacket. And I'm like, oh, I should have asked him for a picture. So I turn around and the bouncer's there now. And he's like, uh, there's no pictures. And I said, I, I just want to take a picture. No, you can't take a picture. And I said, well, I was just talking to, to the boss. And he's like, no, you got to go. <laughs> So I'm the like, boss. okay. So my cousin and I are like a like we're like a finely oiled machine. We've been doing this for years. Yeah. Springsteen's walking down the corridor. I run around, so I'm approaching him and I give my phone to my cousin Chad and I'm like, when the time comes, you know what to do. We walk around, I go, I see Springsteen, I just turn around and and, and face the same direction Springsteen's look looking. Like I walk past him yeah, and turn yeah. around. My cousin Chad goes, Bruce, he looks, quick one second picture, we leave. I got the picture of me and Springsteen. <laughs> Does it look like you guys are? Uh, oh yeah, it looks like we're best buddies. <laughs> we used to do it with wrestlers all the time. Oh, that's great. <laughs> so there you go. I'll show it to you. Last question. I know you mentioned your favorite match was the four way. Uh, is there another match that stands out that you've had that you really enjoy? Hmm. Either one of your tag team matches or NXT matches or yeah, probably us us and the revival from Roadblock, the Toronto one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, the see, Rico Coliseum. I hear about the revival quite quite often. It seems yeah. like there should be coming up pretty soon too. They huh? should be. Uh, hopefully within the next. I don't know. Uh, yeah, yeah. But should be happening soon. 
we shall see. Yeah. Right on, man. Yeah. Well, it's great talking to you, dude. We got to get ready for the big show today. Yeah. Dusseldorf. Yeah, du- I, Dusseldorf, how you doing? Is it Stuttgart? How you doing? <laughs> Berlin, how you doing? And then get ready for a six-hour drive tonight, man. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Six hours. Here we go. Bring out the booze. <laughs> Hello, everybody. Clint here from Team Tiger Awesome, reminding you that the Jericho Network is brought to you in part this week by ManAlone.com. Guys, what happens to you when your wife goes out of town? If you're anything like us fancy boys at Team Tiger Awesome, you wind up getting Diet Coke and gummy worms delivered to you from 7-Eleven so you don't have to put your pants on ever under any circumstances, and then you just shut it down entirely and don't see or speak to anyone for days on end. Well, the folks at ManAlone.com are here to help. ManAlone.com will send a non-judgmental representative directly to your home to check on you when your loved one is out of town. Packages vary from the sad boy, which is just a friendly reminder to take a shower, to the total monster, which is a team of registered nurses who bathe you and feed you intravenously. And if you're worried you'll literally waste away and die, go to ManAlone.com and enter promo code TIGER for a free upgrade to the premium Widowmaker package. For more about ManAlone.com, be sure to check out the Team Tiger Awesome show every Sunday from Podcast One right here. Here on the Jericho Network. Manalone.com sounds like it has some promise. I think the Team Tiger Awesome guys are onto something with that fake ad. And to get more where that came from, just go ahead and hit subscribe on iTunes and please leave them a rating and a review. Do the same for the newest show on the Jericho Network, Rock Talk with Mitch LaFon. Great supersized first episode this week with Andy Summers from the Police, Rock and Roll Hall of Famer. Paul Dean from Loverboy talking all things uh, working for the weekend, Kiss, so many great things. Mitch is a very, very uh, accomplished interview. He's a lot of fun. And he's going to load you up with killer music interviews every Monday. So go ahead and hit subscribe. Leave him a five-star rating and review. I think this Monday he's got Ricky Rocket from Poison coming on. Big tour with Def Leppard coming up. And Mitch has the exclusive. Also, just a reminder, Talk is Jericho participates in the Amazon Associates program, an affiliate advertising program designed to provide a means for me to earn fees by linking to Amazon.com and affiliated sites, man. You can link it to Amazon at PodcastOne.com by clicking on the Killer Deals button at the top of the page go do it now you can also find the rest of my great sponsors there including ddpyoga.com slash jericho where you get 30 percent off the ddp yoga app and all ddpy merch uh, congrats to ddp for going in the wwe hall of fame this friday also lyft you might take a lift to wrestlemania if you're going to be in orlando sign up to drive at lyft.com slash jericho and get a 500 dollars new driver bonus that's lyft.com slash jericho also bet dsi.com register and use the promo code jericho 25 that's my last name that's the number 25 to get 25 bucks for free plus a 200% bonus on your first deposit don't forget all of those great guys uh, Little Caesars is in there as well don't forget about True Car don't forget about Geico we've got a lot of great great people working with us here on the Talk is Jericho and the Jericho Network thank you so much for listening keep listening for the 60 Second AP News headlines coming up next and coming up on Friday by popular demand one of the most requested guests one of the most requested people ever on Talk is Jericho and we haven't even uh, ever had him on he makes his TIJ debut talking about Roman Reigns it's been three years in the making it's finally happening on Friday and if you think you know Roman think again you're going to love this interview Roman Reigns on Talk is Jericho this Friday in the meantime and in between time stay hard stay hungry peace love and hugs and a big yeah boy yes sir yes sir yes sir how you doing? You can download new episodes of Talk is Jericho every Wednesday and Friday at podcast1.com. That's podcastone.com.